Today's sermon passage is from Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 10, verse 12. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages." Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have spoken your word to us. In particular, this word from your son, we receive it. Or perhaps we see it. Now, Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit, we would receive it. I pray that you would cause each of us to be open, to be receptive, to truly hear, to listen. I pray that by the power of your spirit, we would be changed, corrected, rebuked, guided. I pray that by the power of your spirit, we would have a heart for your glory here and there and everywhere that is unquenchable. So Lord, ultimately what we're praying is we need you to speak. We need your spirit to open our eyes and make us receptive. We need your spirit to be our teacher. We need your spirit to be at work. Lord, as I look out over this room this morning, I pray I 
I pray that you would work to draw all of us to yourself. There's no doubt that in the singing and the praying and the testimony and the reading of this word, the kingdom is near. Give us receptive hearts of faith today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already, please take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9. Here at Redeemer, as Spencer said earlier, we spent the month of February looking to God's mission. Simply God's mission is God's work to build God's church, to build worshipers of his son through those who have been redeemed. That's us. So ultimately, the point of Redeemer on Mission is God's missionary agency is the church. And our call is to find our way to be a part of what God's doing. And so today, we want to kind of bring all of this together by looking at what is, if we're just minimally honest, a very hard and challenging passage of Scripture. So, there are two things I bring to the table here this morning. Number one, I bring the awareness that, that my words can really accomplish nothing. If you don't believe me, just come to my house and observe this afternoon. <laughs> my words don't really accomplish anything. But second, I bring the conviction that guilt, it lasts until you get to your car and shut the door. And then you're like, that guy made me feel so guilty and I'm glad I'm out of there. Let's go have lunch. So we have a hard words from our Lord that I'm praying we would hear and not only hear, but we would receive and not only receive, but that we would actually pray, Lord, change me through your word today. That, that's what I'm eager to see happen. And so, by way of illustration, this is, this is the takeaway today. If the church, and it's trite, but I hope it works, okay? If the church, that is, if everyone who belongs to Jesus were a sports team. Say trite, you gotta lie, okay, it's trite. But if we were a sports team, no one would be on the sidelines, What the passage is saying is, if you know Christ, you are sent by Christ to do the work of Christ wherever you are. Now, I have no biblical precedent for this next line, but I'm going to say it anyway. I choose to believe that the kingdom of God does not give out participation trophies. But if we were a sports team, no one would be sitting on the sidelines. That is the implication of the passage. So if you've ever watched four-year-olds play soccer, you know that they're all on the field, but two or three are really playing and the rest of them are literally on their knees picking flowers, right? I don't want us to be the Christians on our knees picking flowers. The Lord's put us in the game. The Lord's given us his spirit 
the Lord's equipped us. The Lord's called us. So engaging in the mission, it's, it's playing the game. I think that's what this passage is going to draw us to. So let's look at the passage and see if that's what it says. First point, if you want to take notes, followers are sent. Followers are sent. And these words have been used in church recently so much that they've almost become cliche, but all disciples are missionaries, all followers are sent, but yet the words come right out of Jesus' mouth, so we must wrestle with them. Look at chapter 9, verse 57. It says, as they were going along the road, the they there is Jesus, the 12 apostles, those who are in that, that closest group of Jesus, and a horde, a band, a group of others who are following along, following along, hearing the teaching of Jesus, watching the works and the wonders of Jesus, and trying to figure out what to do there. And between one of those in that band and Jesus, we get a dialogue. And so let's just walk through the dialogue before we start to try to process through it. One of them says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And so when you read the New Testament, follow Jesus doesn't just mean physically follow. It means identify with, believe in, trust, apprentice myself to, serve, work for you, wherever you go. So I will follow you wherever you go could be taken almost as a, as a declaration of you're the Lord and the Christ. Which is recorded just a few verses earlier. So Jesus said to him, and this, this feels so obscure. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So, so what's the implication there? The implication is this. Yeah, follow me, but just know that where we're headed, it might be really uncomfortable and really inconvenient and really challenging because I don't have anywhere to lay my head and you following me implies that you might not either. Don't follow me for what you think you'll get out of it. Follow me because of who you know me to be. To another, Jesus said, follow me. But the man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, if you don't have anything else to do this afternoon, there, there, there's a two-hour tangent that you can chase as to whether the man's father has actually died, and we're just talking about a funeral, or whether the man is saying, let me care for my father for the rest of his life, and then bury him, and then I'll go follow you. You can chase that whatever you want to. What Jesus says is it doesn't matter. Coming to me is on my terms, not yours. Let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So get this, the first resounding point of this passage is, 
Jesus looks out at the, the band of merry men following him around Galilee, and he says, come, follow me. But understand that coming to follow me is not done on your terms, it's done on mine. Coming to follow me is not done in the way that's convenient and comfortable for you, but it's, it, it's all dictated by me. Come follow me. So, perhaps some of you today are wrestling with this question of where do I stand before God? How do I respond to or align with Jesus? There's two things you should hear. One, you should hear him say, come follow me. There's There's a place for you in my kingdom. Come follow me. You can be an important part of the the, the work that I've come to do. Come follow me. You can find healing and saving and redeeming and restoring. Come follow me. But you also hear Jesus quickly saying, to follow me is to lay aside everything. There is nothing that we can hold on to as terms when we come to follow Jesus. Yeah, I'll follow you, but I won't fill in the blank. Jesus says, that's not coming to follow me. I'll follow you, but I'm not interested in. Jesus says, that's not coming to follow me. I'll follow you, but I'd prefer it if Jesus says, that's not coming to follow me. Come follow me. Now the good news is he's good. The good news is he's merciful. The good news is he's gracious. The good news is he keeps his word. The good news is he redeems his children. The good news is that nothing will separate his children from him. The good news is that he is able. The good news is that he is powerful. But he says, come to me with no buts. Just come to me. But the other thing we see is he's inviting people to follow him. He's immediately using them. Right? Listen to the words. Verse verse 58. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head saying, hey, come follow me, but I make you no promises. Verse 59, follow me. Verse 60, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Follow and proclaim. He is putting together, follow me and be a messenger of my kingdom. And by the way, when the Bible says the kingdom of God, it's just talking about the sphere of Not so much a land political sphere, but the spiritual sphere in which Jesus is bringing and building a group of followers to to transform the world forever. He says, come into my kingdom and become a messenger of the kingdom. And that's why we get this abrupt shift into chapter 10. 
After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. So if you have nothing, so I've already taken up your afternoon. If you want me to take up your evening, you can go and study whether it's 70 or 72 and what that might mean. But we're just going to go with a whole bunch of y'all, okay? All y'all. The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now, here's why this is really important. Go back to the beginning of chapter 9. At the beginning of chapter 9, a very similar incident happens between Jesus and the 12 apostles, those 12 disciples who were closest to them. He sends them out to do his ministry of proclaiming his kingdom. But one might take from that that the ministry of kingdom building is only for a select few. So this antidote, this anecdote in in chapter 10 says, no, now he sends the 70 or the 72 out in exactly the same way to go and proclaim his kingdom. And so what we see in follow me, follow me and proclaim my kingdom, and I send you to proclaim my kingdom. What we see is this idea that the followers of Jesus are sent by Jesus to be messengers of his kingdom. All the followers are sent to be messengers. Now again, get that. We're not sent to accomplish great things. We're not sent to change the world. We're not sent to do these great deeds that draw attention to us. He sent them ahead of him to the places where he himself was about to go. Do you see, do you see what's going on there? The messengers were preparing people to meet the Savior. He didn't send them to random places. He sent them to places where he was good to go. So their kingdom work was to say, meet the king, he's coming. And our kingdom work as those who are sent is simply to point to Jesus, to point to him as the Lord and the, and the king and to say, look to him, trust in him, believe in him. So what we see in these few verses is an invitation to Christ And a compelling picture that everyone who follows, everyone who belongs, everyone who believes, everyone who's redeemed, everyone who connects is sent as a messenger of the kingdom. So really, to back to our analogy, if you're on the team, you play. Or you're not on the team. Those are the only two categories. So there's not the category of non-Christian, Christian sent Christian. There's, there, there's, there's non-Christians and there's sent Christians and there's no middle category. That's what this passage is laying out for us. So the first kind of philosophical pillar when we think about God's mission is all followers are sent. All followers are sent. So I simply challenge you to believe that today. That all followers are sent. And to stop making excuses for why you are unable to live as a sent follower of Jesus. 
Second point. So followers are sent. Second point. Sent to fruitful places. Sent to fruitful places. Now before we look at the passage, I want to appeal to you for a minute. I want to get this from the passage. One of the things, um, I grew up, my, my grandfather was a farmer down in Williamson County. And one of the things that I loved about that farming community 30 years ago was when it was harvest time, everybody labored together to bring in the harvest. Because you, you can drive down a road and see, ah, that man's tobacco is ready to be cut down. Ah, that man's corn is ready to come out of the field. Ah, that man's soybeans are ready, right? And what I, what I loved about the spirit of a farming community 30 years ago was we said, I'm going to help you get your harvest when it's ready. And then you're going to help me get my harvest when it's ready. Because we want all the harvest to come in. So some years at Thanksgiving, I would go into my grandfather's barn and we would work in his tobacco. And other years at Thanksgiving, we would, jump in, we would jump in the truck and we would drive down the road to a man I've never met before and we'd get his tobacco out of his barn because it was his time for his harvest to come in. Maybe a more modern suburbanized version of this is if you don't mow your grass, your HOA will let you know that it is time for your grass to be harvested. And they'll fine you accordingly. And if you don't have an HOA, there's just a random blessing for you to praise the Lord for today. (laughs) But that has nothing to do with Luke chapter 10. But the point of the farming story is, it's pretty easy to tell when the harvest is ready to come in. And the ethos of farming is, Bring in the harvest. So Jesus is going to borrow this metaphor when he's talking about the sending. And in verse 2 he says, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So if your crops are dead... Are you going to pay laborers to go out in the field and bring it in? No, you just let it be dead. But if your harvest is plentiful, are you going to make sure that you reap it? Yeah. So here's what Jesus says. The harvest is plentiful. That's a declaration. It is a truth statement. It is not up for conversation. The harvest is plentiful, which means The Lord is sovereignly preparing people to enter his kingdom and he is telling us that he's doing it. He's telling us that people are near the kingdom. He is telling us that the harvest is ready. He's telling us that there is a harvest to be reaped. It's a spiritual harvest. It's the harvest of people coming into the kingdom. But he says it's plentiful. And so the second peg, if the first peg is believe that all followers are sent, the second peg is believe that the Lord of the harvest sees the fields as ready for harvest. 
So when I say as a pastor, let's go on mission, we say things like, but our world is so secular. It's so post-Christian. It's so immoral. It's so hedonistic. It's so self-centered. It's so materialistic. And what we're doing is we're building up all these reasons why God is not able to use us to bring people to Jesus. Now, God does the saving, but we're the messengers. And as we build up all these things, all we're doing is we're saying, therefore, I can't bridge that gap. But I think when Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, go, I think he knew that he'd already bridged the gap. He knew the work had already been done and we're just a piece of the puzzle whereby the harvest comes in. So I really believe that one of the biggest challenges for us in Southern America is to believe that the harvest is plentiful. And so I just challenge you to believe that the harvest is plentiful. So when you drive back into your neighborhood today and somebody cuts you off, squeals tires and shoots you the bird and yells an expletive at you and then you see all those people who slept in and played Fortnite and didn't go to church today and you see all those people just waking up from their drunken stupor, smelling of booze and all hung over And you see that lady leaving the house that you know she doesn't live in and you know she's not the wife, but she spent the night. I think the challenge of the harvest is plentiful is don't be such a Pharisee and see the power of Jesus and how quickly he changes people and believe that even there, the harvest is plentiful. Even there, the harvest is plentiful. I'm going to Drake's Creek Park after this. I'm going to spend three hours trying to herd kids and have their parents tell me that I'm doing it wrong and have them wish that I were better at what I do for free. (laughs) But the harvest is plentiful. Why is the harvest plentiful? Because the Lord's saving power is amazing. And we're all far from God, and yet we're all very near to the kingdom because all we need to enter the kingdom is Jesus. So just a few examples. I'm trying to tear down a wall here because I believe that you don't believe that the harvest is plentiful. I'm trying to tear it down. Number one, we can't even get into that country that was just in that video, but the Lord's reaped a harvest, such a harvest that he's sending them out as laborers into the field. Number two, and I I am stealing this from Twitter, but sometimes the point is just accurate. And I I don't often ask for a show of hands, but I want a show of hands. How many of you two years ago, 24 months ago, believe that we would be debating the validity of Kanye West's profession of faith and Justin Bieber's profession of faith. Anybody? Okay, one person. You're a liar. (laughs) And I'm not saying anything pro or con. I'm just saying, who believes that? They're so far from God. Look at their lyrics. Look at their song. Look at their money. Look at their lifestyle. 
And Jesus is like, that's nothing for me. Nothing. The harvest is plentiful. We, the mission begins when we believe that the harvest is plentiful for us, our engagement in it, when we believe the harvest is plentiful. Can, can I, I, I don't know how this is going to end because I'm way out of time, but we're just going to keep doing this, okay? So I spoke earlier to, to those of you who are here today, and maybe you don't know where you stand before Jesus. Maybe you have doubts, you have unbelief, you have questions, you're far away, you're not sure you can trust him. I think when he looks at you, he says the harvest is plentiful. I really do. Consider him today. So the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So, that, so that's the third kind of peg. The laborers are few. Now, I'm a math statistics nerd, okay? So of all the people in the world and all the Christians in the world, if all of us were actively engaged in God's mission, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. But how much more so if only, say, 10% of us are actually engaged in God's mission? So what do we do? Do we despair? Do we pout? Do we guilt? Do we shame? What do we do? Thankfully, Jesus tells us. He says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers and go your way. There's two things. Pray earnestly for laborers and be a laborer. Pray earnestly for laborers and be a laborer. And then what picks up here is carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road, shake the dust off your feet, say peace to the house, give the peace, take the peace, eat, drink, go from house to house. What, what, what's going on with all that? A whole bunch that I don't have time to get into, but at its minimum, what's going on is, is Jesus is making the point that This is going to be carried out in such a way that it's very clear that I am the one who has done the work to bring them into the kingdom. And you don't have to have the right money bag or the right knapsack or the right sandals or the right cohorts to go. And so he's going to tear down some more excuses. But our job is to go and our job is to pray. Because he says, if they receive you, the kingdom of God has come near. If they don't receive you, the kingdom of God has come near. Our job is to be messengers of the kingdom. And so I just want to plead with you as a pastor and as one who wants the most for you and for our church, let's be messengers of the kingdom, believing that the Lord of the harvest is sending us into the harvest, believing that the harvest is plentiful, and praying earnestly that the Lord would use us in his mission to reap harvest. Now, final point, a way forward. A way forward. I have three things that I want to ask you to do with me. As we connect our entire month of Redeemer on Mission, we connect this passage, I have three things I want to ask you to do with me. Number one, don't pay away your conscience. 
Don't pay away your conscience. Spencer told you earlier we're collecting an offering. I appealed to you last week to help us reach our offering goal. I will appeal to you more to help us reach our offering goal. But often the way this plays out in our very busy, um, a little bit selfish evangelical minds is like this. All right, it's missions time. So I'm going to write a $500 check and then I've done my part and I'm going to leave all the rest to the other Christians. If that's where you are, don't write the check. Just don't write it. Because God's calling all of us to be a part of his mission. And some of us are able to give. Some of us, we're all certainly able to pray. And we're all certainly able to relate to others as ambassadors of the king. So let's not be found paying away our consciences. Number two, will you commit to learn to see your world with the eyes of God when you look at that world? What I'm basically saying is I want you to drive home today differently than you drove here. I want you to drive home with eyes wide open to the possibilities of the kingdom of Jesus coming to bear there. I want you to drive home today with your eyes open to the way that the Lord sees the people in your neighborhood and not the way that you are inclined to see them. Yesterday, some of us gathered for prayer walking, and this is the beauty of prayer walking. I have statistics I can tell you all the nerdy details about the one mile radius around this church and most of you are tired of hearing me talk about them. You can say amen, it's okay. But yesterday, a group of us stood right down here in front of the maples and we were praying about the mission of God being played out there. And as we were standing there praying a car full of Muslim ladies in full headdress drives right by us. And all of a sudden, that went from a fact on a page that I may or may not pay attention to, to the nations are driving down Bonita Parkway. Let your kingdom come, Lord. And that moment has changed me because I saw Bonita Parkway in a new way that was much closer to how God sees Bonita. So I want to ask you to commit to, and even ask the Lord to help you to see your world with the eyes that the Lord would have you see them with. And number three, will you just make one small commitment? One small commitment. You know, preachers do really wretched things right here in this sermon. We're like, so if you love Jesus, you'll give up your knapsack and you give up your sandals and you'll give up your money bag and you'll move to Uganda. And maybe that's what God will call you to do. Some of you have done that, right? But the path from here to Uganda is going to start with some really small steps. Let's just make some small steps together. This year, I will Use one lunch hour a week to spend time with somebody who I don't know where they are spiritually, but they are all in my physical world. That's a step into this passage. This year, my family will open our home once a month to a neighbor or a group of neighbors in our neighborhood just to engage and figure out where the Lord is at work there. But now... All you nerdy types like me, 
this small step that I'm asking to take is not an academic one, okay? So don't make your small missional step to be to like read a book on missiology, okay? Or to have another Bible study unless it's to study the gospel with somebody who's far from Jesus, okay? Don't pay away your conscience. Learn the lesson of prayer walking and make one or two small commitments that the Lord might use to start a fire that changes how you engage in his mission. Jesus said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Our Father and our God, I pray that the things that need to be accomplished in this room today, you would do it. I pray that the heart change you need to bring about, you would bring it about. I pray that you would build your kingdom and I pray that you would use us. We pray this for the glory of Jesus. Amen. At this time, as we do each week, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a a gift to us. It's an act of worship for us. And it's a remembrance that we belong to the kingdom of God only because of Jesus. But in him, we are forgiven, redeemed, restored. All things are made new. We have a place in his work and he is going to build his kingdom through his church. So as we take this bread and we take this cup, what we're saying is, I need Christ, and I have Christ, and I celebrate Christ. And so here at Redeemer, we would invite anyone who is a Christian, anyone who has professed faith in Jesus for salvation and made that known to the church, we'd invite you to take this bread, take this cup with us. And as you do so, we're being reminded and renewed and restored in our place in the kingdom because of Jesus. If you're here today, you're not sure where you stand before the Lord. We ask you to let the bread and the cup pass. And as as it passes, what you're saying is, I'm not sure who I am before God. So God, would you help me wrestle with what it looks like to believe? And if that's where you are, I would love the opportunity to talk with you about what it would look like for you to believe. So we're going to sing. These guys are going to pass out the bread and the cup. I'll come back in a few minutes and we'll take them together.